You're listening to The Podcast, a talk show that's helping you to own your power, lead your life, and thrive in your career. This is a show that's for the thrivers. Yes, that's you, that person that's ready to take the next step in your career, perhaps even to lead a growing or scaling business, or to think about making a transition from where you are to where you want to be. I'm so glad that you are part of this talk show. My name is Brittany N. Cole, the CEO and founder of Career Thrivers and the host of this podcast. I cannot wait to join you on this road of thriving together. Let's dive in. In a world that's rapidly changing, leadership is not only about authority, but it's about empathy, emotional intelligence, and mastering the art of owning your power. It's also about recognizing some of the untapped potential within mastering the art of guiding others and really understanding what it means to lead not only with your hand and your insight, but with your heart. Today, we're diving deep into what leadership truly means in our evolving times with a figure who embodies all of these ideals and more. On today's episode, we are joined by renowned Carla A. Harris, an influential voice, celebrated author, a trailblazer in the corporate landscape with her new book, Lead to Win. Carla dives into this intricate journey of what it looks like of going from an individual contributor to becoming an emerging or executive level leader. She draws from her wealth of over 35 years of experience within the financial services industry, and she brings to light some of the pivotal elements of leadership today. The significance of risk-taking, crafting a clear vision, the priceless power of knowing the power that you have and really standing in that, and also the power of relationship building and partnerships. In Lead to Win, Carla highlights some of the daily intentions that every leader must embody. That's your authenticity, trust building, nurturing your team, and becoming the leader that you desire to be. These aren't just traits, but they're very pillars that create profitable businesses. I cannot wait to dive into this conversation with you. Let's get it going. Carla, welcome to the show. We're so honored to have you joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Let's dive into your new book. We have your three books sitting here. And of course, your latest is Lead to Win. And in the book, you talk about this transforming journey of moving from an individual contributor to really owning your power to lead to win. Talk to us about what that looks like for those that are listening in that are kind of on the cusp of taking on their first people leader role. I'll tell you, Brittany, the reason why I wrote that chapter is that it's my philosophy that often women and people of color get their shot when things are chaotic. Mm-hmm. And my evidence is, you know, think about when Ken Chenault took over American Express or when Ken Frazier took over Merck or when, uh, you know, Jenny Rometty even took over IBM or when Mary Barra took over GM. So, as I said, women and people of color get their shot when things are chaotic. So you have to be able to make that shift quickly from being an outstanding individual contributor to now being the one in charge. You are it. So how do you now think about your different constituents? Because when you are an individual contributor, you know who the boss is and you know what you have to deliver and you know what success looks like. But now all of a sudden you're the leader. You not only have people who used to be your coworkers that are now people who are reporting up to you as a constituent. You have the entire organization, all those employees as constituents. You have the shareholders, if you are a CEO, as constituents. You have the board, who are really your boss at the end of the day, as constituents. So how do you shift your thinking to now serve all of these different constituents 
who, while they all have one common goal for the company or the organization to, to do well, they all have different agendas and they all have different goals outside of those common goals. So I wanted to speak to that right away. So when you get the tap on the shoulder, you immediately think, okay, I have to shift my lens. I have to shift my thinking. How do I think about success now? How do I find out what success looks like for each of my constituents? Let me put a timeline together for doing that first before I start to execute. Now, sometimes because it is happening in a crisis, there is something to be done. And you obviously have to deal with that. But you can't ignore these other things that you're trying to do while you're solving the crisis or that you're quelling the storm, if you will. That's why I wrote to that, because we don't often realize that we're now get it. And then it's like, now what? And the most important thing that you can do is to shift your thinking before you do anything else. Talk to us about that mindset, because one of the things that I remember from you pouring into me as a corporate leader when I was sitting in a space, a marketing role at Pfizer, at at their headquarters, you came and did a talk about ensuring that as perhaps an individual contributor or an, or an emerging leader, you don't shrink when the org is making shifts. Talk to us about the mindset that's required to show up in that moment. Oh, absolutely. And, and here's the thing, and thank you so much for that question. You have to know that you know that you know that you have earned the right to be in that seat. So often, Brittany, I can't tell you how many times in the course of a week that I get the question about the imposter syndrome. And every time I get it, it's like, because, you know, nobody gives you a role because you are a woman. Nobody gives you a role because you are of color. People only spend their currency to give you a role when they know and heartily believe that you can deliver. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that confidence in yourself at that point, hold on to their confidence until yours catches up. But you have to show up knowing that you have everything that you need in order to do the job. Otherwise, that opportunity, that moment would not have been delivered to you. The the universe would not have delivered this set of circumstances if you weren't already ready. So even if you're not feeling ready, now you need to tell yourself, well, I have the intellect somehow. You know, either I was taught this in my undergraduate or my graduate training, or I was taught this in some other kind of training program. Or I had the experiences that led to the lessons that will now enable me to prosecute that. Or I know somebody mm-hmm. that might even know somebody that will be able to give me the things that I need in order to at least approach this, if not solve the problem. Each of us have at least three things in our tool chest. Mm-hmm. Your intellect, your, which is your academic background your experience and your relationships, your networks. Those are three powerful things. For me, I have a fourth thing and it's a spiritual word. But for most most of us, we have at least the three things that are in our tool chest. And you must leverage all of those if you're going to be successful. So if you have chosen, and remember, Brittany, it's a choice. Somebody's going to come to you and say, we'd like to choose you now as CEO. Will you accept? That will be the conversation. And if you say yes, then you are now accepting everything that goes with that. So there's no need to stand back and now question whether or not you could do it, right? If you said yes, you've accepted it. So now you prosecute. You don't second guess your own decision. And you don't say to yourself, well, I can't say no. Who would say no to the CEO's role? Well, if you're not ready, then you have to be authentic and be honest with yourself and say, I'm not ready. But before you would do that, You should talk to a few people because you 
may be discounting yourself and thinking that you're not ready when other people can give you the the readily available evidence that you are. Yeah, we, and we see that so often, particularly in the gender equity space, when you think about organizations that are committed to seeing more women in leadership roles, sometimes it's us as women that are second guessing. Talk to us about some of the challenges that you're seeing as you are out working with organizations, speaking with organizations, seeing more women in leadership roles. Yeah, I have to tell you that the reason why I brought up this point about the imposter syndrome is that I can't believe, Brittany, that 36 years after graduating from Harvard Business School, when the imposter syndrome was just coming on the scene and it was a hot topic, I cannot believe that that is a topic of conversation today and that that is the thing that is holding many women back. And there are lots of women who think they have to have everything. If there are 10 criteria for doing a job, they think they have to have all 10. And there are lots and lots of studies and articles that have been written that say that men will go forward when they have six and women think that they have to have all 10. And what I see most often is that people discount the experiences that they have had. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't think that they are important. They don't think that they are relevant. But every single experience that you have is relevant and it is important. So even today, even of women who are getting into leadership positions, There is this tension with respect to owning their power and owning who they are, they are, and trying to also remain humble. And frankly, you know, the two are not opposed. You can absolutely be humble, but you can absolutely own everything that you have done and say to yourself, yeah, I am pretty smart. Yep. I am a good problem solver. Yep. I can create something out of nothing because let's face it, most women in their roles as they're building their career and most people of color don't get the resources that they need in order to do the job. And they either don't get the technical resources, Mm -hmm. the financial resources or the people resources, yet they produce above and beyond. So if you're not giving yourself credit for that, when you know you've had those kinds of situations and you know, what are you doing? There are most people that would not have been able to achieve what you have achieved with what you had to do it with. And you're not even thinking about that as something that should give you four gold stars. Absolutely. And and you sharing that reminds me of the power of emotional intelligence and the role that it plays in truly owning that power and leading to win. What can women do that are listening to be better about self and social awareness to really own that emotional intelligence? Yes. One of the things that, that I tell people to do, Brittany, here's an exercise. Write about your strengths and your weaknesses as if it weren't you. So now Carla Harris is going to analyze Brittany Cole is what you should say to yourself. So if I was analyzing Brittany Cole, what would I say about her? Uh, What are her strengths? Hmm. What are her weaknesses? Hmm. What are her major accomplishments? Start writing them down. I mean, have three blank sheets of paper, strengths, weakness, accomplishments, weaknesses, accomplishments. And you will be surprised how you start adding another sheet of paper when you get to those accomplishments, because then you start saying, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. And even though that may sound simple, and for some people, it may even sound silly, but when you, it will remind you of all the things that you've already done. And so in those moments, when you're second guessing yourself, go back and look at your data. It is your data. And we tend to discount that. But when you look at your data, 
there's no doubt about it. It's going to make you feel more empowered. You're going to feel inspired and you're going to have an extra measure of confidence that you can deal with this too. Cause look at all the other things that you've done. Yeah. That's that, that record. And sometimes I think we think of it as like, you know, having that email folder or that, that brag book, whatever it might look like, but that data becomes so powerful with decision-making. I think it also helps to highlight some of the gaps. You talk about gaps in your book when it comes to gaps in leadership that impede your effectiveness. Share some of those with us. Yes. Every leader has gaps. Every leader has gaps. And especially when you find yourself in that leadership role, you know, take some time very early on in that seat and say, what are my gaps? If I'm really going to be honest with myself. And again, I don't mean over penalizing yourself. I don't mean being hard on yourself or, or beating yourself up. I mean, saying objectively, what would I say are my gaps? Think about your last three or four evaluations. They might have identified some gaps then and go back and think about those things. And some of the gaps that I talk about are, you know, failure to leverage people. When I see leaders, many leaders, whether it's in politics, corporate America, philanthropic America, one of the common gaps that I see among leaders is failure to leverage their people. Mm. And people of color and women in particular are grossly under leveraged in most organizations, right? And many of them leave because they're not being properly leveraged. Mm -hmm. They're being asked to give 60 or 75% of what they could really give. Nobody's even thinking about the other 40, 50, 70 percent that they could potentially offer the organization. So after not feeling fully leveraged and utilized, they leave the organization. So that's a big leadership gap. The other leadership gap is failure to remove people fast mm -hmm. enough. And that was one of mine, Brittany's. Brittany, I will tell you that, um, you know, I recognize this. As I was, I had, a, I had a situation where I should have removed a leader from, from a role. And especially if you like the person or you've bet on that person, and then you start seeing behavior that was, you know, not what you would have expected. You start making excuses in your own mind. Well, maybe they need a coach or maybe they're going through an emotional time or maybe there's a health issue or blah, blah, blah. Cause you just can't believe it at this point. Mm -hmm. So instead of removing that person, you start investing even more. You double down, you triple down, you quadruple down. And I happened to be doing a fireside chat with Ursula Burns for our Senior Multicultural Leaders Conference. And I was telling her that I had identified that as one of my gaps. And she said, I had the same issue. Mm. And she said, but I'll tell you what helped me. I had another senior leader say to me, when you fail to remove a bad leader, you hold the rest of the organization hostage. And when she said that, Brittany was like, it was a cayenne pepper moment for me. And I also had to peel the onion and ask myself why. Mm -hmm. I said, wow, Carla, you're so decisive on everything else. You're quick to make a decision. You're comfortable and confident, even with incomplete information. Why are you so slow on this front? Mm -hmm. And I realized it was cultural. Why? Growing up black in the South, especially in the you know 70s, 80s, People would always say, especially family members, you only have one shot. The world's not fair. You can't make the same mistakes and the number of mistakes that everybody else makes. You won't have that shot. You got one shot. And I realized that if you hear that over and over, it definitely does impact your risk appetite. Mm. Because let's face it, if you only think you have one shot, you're going to be very careful with that one shot. Mm. And I also thought to myself, especially as I was younger, that's not fair. Yeah. Everybody makes a mistake. 
when I get into a position of power, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give people some room. Well, the problem was you keep giving them more and more and more room. So once I identified that as a gap, I moved quickly and I'm always on guard now. If I give somebody a second chance, I'm on guard to ask myself, are you doing it? Are you doing it? And I, I make sure that I don't do that again. Yeah, it's it's reminding me of, of advice that I've gotten in, in this space of entrepreneurship and building a business of, you know, hiring slow and firing fast. But you're right. You do have that. And I, I believe we even give language to it. Like, you know, I, well, I want to be empathetic and I want to be understanding and I want to give this person grace and space. And then another 90 days goes by and the performance is the same or it dips. And as the leader, you're like, I should have made the decision that I know I should have made in Q2. Now it's Q4. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's great. But you know advice. how you get around that? And, and I talk about this in the book. Part of your job as a leader is to be very definitive around what success looks like. Mm -hmm. And when you are definitive around what success looks like, now that gives you the latitude when the person is not delivering that. Now you can go to them and you can say, you know, listen, Danielle, I told you that success looked like A, B, C, D, and E, and you've given me A and B. How can I help you? What else do you need in order to give me C, D, and E? Or do you need resources? Should we redefine the timeline? What am I missing? Because I need you to give me A, B, C, D, and E in order for you to be successful. If I don't get that, then I can only assume that either you don't want to deliver that or you can't deliver that or there's someplace else that where you can be in your best and highest use and it's not on my team. Either way, My job is to help you get there if it's not here. So let's go back, see what you can do. You got everything you need. I'll expect to see it. And if I don't, then we'll just have that conversation. No shame in that game. Now, when you have to have that conversation with Danielle and you say, I got A and B again. All right, let's talk about where you'd like to go. Because it's not here. We talked about that. We know that. So how can I help you get wherever that is? (laughs) Cause not here. That is a Carla's pearl right there. If I ever heard one, it is so timely. Thank you for sharing that. Hey Thriver, I'm excited for you to get your hands on your copy of The Blueprint to More Visibility and Influence. This is a powerful free resource that's designed to catapult your influence and amplify your impact in your business or company. Now, this isn't just another online guide. This is your strategic companion that's going to walk you through the world of personal branding and authentic leadership. Inside, you'll unlock essential strategies that are going to help you do a few things. One, sharpen your self-awareness and own your unique story, navigate the complexities of workplace dynamics with more confidence, elevate your presence in any room and ensure that you are not only seen, but also heard and valued. Why wait for opportunities when you can create them? With this blueprint, you'll learn how to cultivate a personal brand that commands respect and opens the door for new opportunities. And the best part, you'll start seeing the world differently, not just as a place where you fit in, but one where you stand out. You'll transform your self-doubt into more self-assurance and turn your aspirations into to tangible achievements. So join me in our community of thrivers who are making their mark. Don't let this moment pass you by. Head on over to letsthrivetogether.com to download your free copy of the blueprint to more visibility and influence today. Start your journey and let's thrive together. 
I'm curious about your perspective when it comes to organizational leaders who sometimes find themselves looking at, you know, their succession plans, needing to fill the role of a leader and you fill it with the top performer, but perhaps that top performer hasn't been given the skills to lead people. What would you say to executive level leaders about the power of investing in leadership development? Oh, no, it's huge. It is huge. And it's funny you should bring that up, Brittany, because it's my perspective as I've spent a lot of time with a lot of different companies that many companies are not investing at the highest level around leadership development, that they're still um, in the mode that was very common in the 90s and the early 2000s to reward producers, mm-hmm. right? And when you reward a producer because they are the biggest producer, and you put them in a role of management and authority and leadership without any training. Um, and now you're getting to a position where you're about to hold the rest of those people that are working with those folks hostage. And you're putting them in a position where they're not going to be able to do their best work. And you therefore are compromising the organization's overall productivity. And there are a few companies that I have come across that invest heavily in leadership development even before their people get into that seat. And I'm a big, big fan of that. Um, and that those are companies where you start to see some consistent performance across decades mm-hmm. and years because they keep putting good people in those spots. And they're also willing to move people um, pretty aggressively. And the way I think about it is if you are a CEO, you should be thinking, how can I make my people as ambidextrous as possible. Mm-hmm. Where I can take Brittany from that division, and I can put Brittany in this division, especially if the key success factors are even close sure. because I realize she has an ability to learn that business quickly, but she knows how to go in there and apply and adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that should be the holy grail. Now you are going to have situations where some people are just good at that one discrete thing. Sure. And it is their best and highest use for them to stay in that one and discrete thing. But it's your job as a leader to be able to identify that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And when we think about that happening and that career advancement that's taken place, you know, the viral TED Talk comes to my mind of what I believe is one of the the best examples and pictures of what it means to have a sponsor, to have that person inside of the organization that's helping you navigate those, those waters and make those moves inside of your company. For those that might be listening that are like, sponsor, tell me more. How do you define a sponsor? Yes. And as you know, I talk about that in my first book, uh, Expect to Win. That is chapter five, where I delineate the difference between an advisor and a mentor and a sponsor. And again, Brittany, the reason I wrote about that is because popular business press likes to say you need a mentor, but they never really define the difference between the mentor and the sponsor, nor do they delineate the relative value. The mentor is anybody that you can tell the good, the bad, and the ugly to. And they have to know who you are and you must trust them because it is their job to give you tailored advice that you can successfully execute. Again, if I know Daniela and I know Brittany and they both want to become executive vice presidents and I'm a good mentor, I give them two different strategies because they are two different women. And my job is to give them that tailored advice that they can successfully execute. The sponsor, on the other hand, is the person that is carrying your paper into the room. What room? That room where all of the important decisions about your career will be made. That room where your compensation is decided. That room where your promotions are decided. That room where new assignments are given out. That room where you are not present. 
Somebody has to carry your paper into the room and spend their valuable political and social capital on you to make sure you get the great promotion. You get the outstanding bonus. You get that next great career defining opportunity. That is the person that you call the sponsor. And that was a big aha. As I talk about in the TED talk, you know, back then everybody was a mentor, mentor, mentor. But that very first evaluative cycle, when we were all in that room and somebody said, oh, John Smith, the kid's a superstar. He walks on water. And somebody said, Patty Smith, "Ah, ah, ah," you know, safe pair of hands. Somebody said, you know, Jimmy Smith, oh, the kid's a disaster. He's a disaster. Right. And people were recording it and putting somebody in the top bucket, the middle bucket and the lower bucket. And that's when I was clutching my pearls saying, Who's Mm going to speak for me? All of a sudden, I realized it was nowhere near as objective of a process as I thought it was. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And in the gender equity space, that is the biggest differentiator with why we don't see as many women in leadership roles. They aren't being sponsored. What are some best practices that you've seen from an organizational perspective on really taking this idea of sponsorship seriously and maybe even formalizing it through programming? Yes. And that's a very good point. I have to tell you, Brittany, that's what I've seen a number of organizations do is actually formalize the process of sponsorship because they realize that it doesn't happen as organically as you would like it to happen Mm -hmm. over time. And as I like to say, Nirvana is when somebody takes you under their wing and say, Brittany, I'm going to make it happen for you here. But if you don't have those kinds of interactions with people that make it a natural thing, Mm -hmm. then you have to facilitate some other way for that sponsorship to happen. And, you know, another senior woman at another organization said to me, and she put it so well, she said, proximity breeds familiarity, Mm -hmm. right? And the more interactions that you have with somebody, the more familiar you become and the easier it is for you to think about spending their currency spending your currency on their behalf. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know the person, you're not apt to do that. So one of the things that I say in my talks all the time is that it's important that you build these relationships because if you don't, while your performance gets your name on a short list that's discussed behind closed doors, when your name is called in that room, if nobody else in that room can speak on your behalf, they go to the next name on the list. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with your ability to do the job, but everything to do with whether or not somebody will say, oh, yeah, yeah, Danielle, absolutely. Oh, Jamie, yeah, I know him. He'll walk through walls. He'll take the team. These are all qualitative comments, which are a function of the relationships that you have with people. There are no numbers. She's a nine. He's a 10. Oh, no, no, no. It's just the comments like I just made. And they make all the difference in that room. All the difference. We know that business is changing, I feel like every second in in some industries. Talk to us about how you are owning your leadership and evolving your leadership as the business changes. Absolutely. And, you know, COVID was the biggest example that we can point to in recent history that uh, has actually accelerated the need for a change in leadership style. People like me, boomers and older Xers, we grew up in a leadership context of the my way or the highway type context. You know the joke. Your boss says jump, your answer is how high. (laughs) But now we're in a situation where millennials and Zers are the dominant population in the workforce. So you say jump, they're going to say why, right? So you're in a context now where employees, professionals are now questioning 
leadership and management. They're not executing because somebody gives them a directive. Why should I do this? Why do we need to have it at this point? How is it going to fit in with everything else? What's the big picture that we're really trying to accomplish? Do I really need to do these extra 15 iterations if all we're trying to do is X, Y, and Z, right? We're in a different context. So it demands if you are choosing to sit in a leadership seat that you think about it and you lead differently. We're also in an environment where professionals highly value collaboration. People want their voices to be heard. And COVID in particular accelerated that because two shifts happened because of COVID. The amplification of voice and choice and also the change in the employer-employee contract. Mm-hmm. The amplification of voice and choice, there's not one employer out there that wasn't scrambling to figure out how to engage with their people when we weren't in the same place. They knew that they were vulnerable to the best talent walking out the door because there wasn't the distraction of walking in the building. So everybody wanted to figure out a way to engage. Everybody wanted to be able to speak to their employee constituent. Employees at the same time were looking at what was going on in the world and was asking questions. When are we going to have to go back? What do we know about when a vaccine is going to actually happen? You know, who's been vulnerable or who's no longer here in our organization? How are we responding to, you know, the social unrest on the back of racial inequities that are happening in my community, on my street? What do you have to say about that? So now all of a sudden, employees were demanding to hear the voices of their employers powerful shift, you know, and this idea of authenticity and empathy was really pronounced Mm -hmm. because I had a lot of talks with people in the C-suite in those early days of COVID. And I heard fear on the other side of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I realized why. If you are a boomer or an older exer and you were building your career in the late eighties and early nineties, there was a prescription for how you got to the top. And if you followed the prescription, you got to the top. But now, and you never, ever had to show your authentic self. You just followed the prescription. Mm -hmm. But now we're in a moment where in a situation like this, your employees are looking right at you, right? And I don't know about you, Brittany, but I see people differently on a Zoom than I do in their office. Absolutely. Because I have no distractions. In your office, I can see how big the office is. I can see the awards that you won. Your assistant might've come in and offered me a cup of coffee. I got all these distractions when I'm sitting on the top floor talking to the leader. I have no distractions when I'm looking right at you in the screen. Mm -hmm. And so it required a different level of authenticity and empathy. And many leaders weren't equipped to be able to do that. But that's what's required now if you're going to sit in that seat. Absolutely. I'm curious about your thoughts. One additional thing that I've noticed is that there, there are some stats that we don't often talk about together, but I think play a role. So if you look in the entrepreneurial space, women are driving new business ownership by leaps and bounds, specifically black women for the last seven years, leading demographics, starting new businesses. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we see at Career Thrivers, oftentimes when corporations dig into their retention data, the demographic that is leading turnover are black professionals, specifically black women. Could the two be related? Is the question on the table. So I'm curious about your perspective of leaders being more open to women, men having other aspirations that are more entrepreneurial. 
Yeah, I do think that organizations going to be are going to be a lot more flexible around that because, you know, most of the organizations that I spend time with are all encouraging people to bring their authentic selves into the environment. And that's mm-hmm. going to mean that they're going to have to, you know, be flexible and tolerate if people have other aspirations. And what I say to people who have other aspirations is you just have to be clear about your decision at the outset around the priorities. And if your corporate, you know, your, your corporate opportunity is going to be the main priority, then you know that you're going to have to make some compromises around the other thing. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a, a personal example. I've always loved to sing. And, you know, I knew that at some point I was going to sing in some kind of professional or semi-professional environment. But I also knew that Morgan Stanley was my top number one priority. That was my career. That's where I wanted to excel. And in investment banking, again, I came from the mentality of starting this business in the late 80s. The answer is, jump. you know, the question is jump. How high is my mm-hmm. answer? Right. And I also always knew that the clients had priorities. So what did that mean for Carla the singer? That meant Carla the singer could not make the decision to be a touring professional mm. because I can't be in Kansas City doing a major concert when I'm supposed to be pricing a transaction. Not going to happen. And you can't be in a position as a singer to tell somebody I can't show up for that concert if you've made the commitment. So that meant that if I wanted to sing, I had to think about singing in a different level. I had to think about, you know, singing and uh, in local in a local choir or in in my church or to do concerts or performances that were local or in the tri-state area. And that was a decision I was willing to make because it still fulfilled me as a singer, still allowed me to do what I wanted to do, but it didn't allow me to be, you know, an A-grade touring professional like a Beyonce or Aretha Franklin or somebody like that. So I say to people, if you have things that you really care about, there's always a way to do them, but you got to think about how you do them in the context of the priority. Absolutely. What would you say to our women listening, which is our primary audience here in the room and in watching this on our our various platforms who are very determined to lead to win, determined to advance within their organizations, but they're also very uh, wealth focused. So they're shifting their mindset around their financial independence and being more secure in their own personal wealth management. What would you say to those women to ensure that they're working, but also that they have a wealth mindset that ensures that they leave a legacy? I would say to you right away, make sure that you get help from a professional with respect to planning out your um, your wealth strategies or your wealth aspirations. Because here's the deal, Brittany, we're all so busy. And if you are aspiring to move up in your organization, you are aspiring to make more money, you're going to be focused on executing on that. And it's going to be really easy to be distracted around managing your wealth. And there's lots of products, there's lots of strategies, there's lots of things that you can do that unless you have you know, good time management on your away from work time, you're not going to make the time to teach yourself those things. Mm -hmm. So as soon as possible, start building your network of financial professionals that could help you in the early days. Okay. You're not making a lot of money. Maybe you don't have enough money to have a financial advisor, but that doesn't mean you can't talk to one. That doesn't mean you can't say to them, you know, so talk to me about what kind of clients you take on. Talk to me about what's the minimum amount of money that they need to have in order for you to manage that. Talk to me about when somebody's just getting started, what do you 
kind of tell them in terms of thinking about equity and debt? You know, what resources might I read? I'm not ready for you yet, but what might you tell me I need to do in order to get ready? You can still have some of those conversations early on. And here's the other thing. We need to share information with each other, Mm -hmm. Brittany, because some of us get exposed to the kinds of benefits and opportunities and financial products that our companies offer. Mm -hmm. And some of us don't even realize what's being offered to us and the amount of money that we're leaving on the table. You know, one of the stories that I tell, because I have no shame about this, because I didn't know is when I first started working in 87, I didn't really understand what a 401k was. And back then, companies were matching the money. So whatever you put away, they would match it up to 10%. Translation, free money. Mm -hmm. Mm, Free money. So, But because I didn't come from money, and because my goal was to try to see my bank account grow, I was very skeptical about any money coming out of my check, even though it was still my money because it wasn't in the bank. I wasn't looking at it grow. I wasn't seeing that balance grow. It didn't have the same value to me. Mm -hmm. And make a long story short, I was sort of putting a minimum amount in that space. I happened to be talking to a girlfriend who started the same time on the street, working for a leading investment bank. She happened to be a trader, but she knew more about this than I did. She was putting the max in. One day we're playing cards and she says, how much money do you have in your in your 401k. And I think she was trying to figure out how I had allocated it, right? Mm-hmm. To see whether or not my allocations were the same. Make a long story short, when I told her, she was like, what? How's that possible? I have, and the number she mentioned was 4X, the number I had. And wow. we started at the same time. And she said, well, how much money are you putting in? And I told her like 2%. And she was like, and I quote, fool. <laughs> You are leaving free money on the table. They are matching it up to this. But here's the deal. And the reason I tell this story, Brittany, is that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And how was I supposed to know? There was nobody in my family that was talking about 401ks. There was nobody that was allocating that way. Yes, I had gone to Harvard undergrad and Harvard Business School, but none of that was in any of my classes. How was I supposed to know? And I say that because... Now I tell that story to everybody because, and I, to the young, especially the young professionals, how much are you allocating? Do you know what they match? And every young parent that I meet, I'm like, you got a 529 plan? When are you going to do it? Are you thinking about it? Right? Because again, if you don't know how you're supposed to know and you yeah. waste valuable years where you could be building your wealth, right? Simply because of lack of education. So my macro message is get the education either by reading things on your own or talking to your girlfriends, talking to your colleagues, talking to financial advisors and professionals that can help you. Yeah, that that is powerful and so timely because at Career Thrivers, we want you to thrive in your career, but we're also working on a new vertical to help our professionals become income thrivers so that you really are getting those questions answered and being more exposed to those types of insights. So final question from me, Carla, before we open it up to the room, what does thriving mean to you? Oh, thriving means to me being happy and and fulfilling your definition of success in all the verticals of your life. Uh, pers- spiritually, first for me, mm-hmm. you know, feeling like you have a connection. You know, I, I talk to God several times a day. I pray several times a day. Uh, but feeling like you're lined up for me mm-hmm. spiritually is one. Feeling like you're lined up personally 
you know, in your personal relationship with your partner, in your personal relationship with your, your, your family, your kids. And if your parents are still alive with your parents and certainly with your friends, you know, having somebody that circle of people that you can depend on and that, you know, have your back and that you are there to have their back. And also thriving means whatever my goal or aspiration is professionally that I am fulfilling that or that every day I'm getting a little bit closer, closer to it. That's what thriving looks like. And in the professional piece, obviously, is the wealth piece underneath that. Absolutely. Well, I want to say on behalf of all of our thrivers, thank you for being on the show and thank you for your leadership. Yeah, it's been my honor, my pleasure. Thank you. Hey, Hey Creative is a company that stands at the intersection of imagination and reality here in Nashville, Tennessee. They specialize in transforming events into memorable experiences as partners for brands and advocates for small businesses. At Career Thrivers, we've been a proud client of Hey Hey Creative as they foster self-reflection, promote growth, and create moments that are beautiful and inspiring. Experience the magic of Hey Hey Creative today by visiting heyheycreative.com. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I hope that you took as much from that episode as I did to not only be inspired, but to actually move towards action. And I want to help you do that. So be sure that you head on over to careerthrivers.com forward slash podcast and download our Thrivers Guide to take your career and leadership to the next level. Share this episode with a friend or a colleague, subscribe, rate and review. And I cannot wait to see you inside the next episode.